the explosion of art and genius from this time that we're living through is going to be breathtaking. have a the house the house I'm in is a full full recording studio basically it's our second house it's a hundred year old farmhouse it's kind of my it's sort of my dog house oh that's great and it's where I'd create and then we have a cabin that we built that we live in so um yeah we're basically I mean and with I feel sort of really guilty about how easy it is to weather this out here yeah I know what you mean I have other friends that are in hell. It's awful. In Nashville or where else? Not really here. Nashville's not feeling it yet. We, they're feeling it, but not because it's such a spread out town. But I have friends in LA that are, it, it's horrible for them. Yeah, there's a, I saw a video somebody took like two nights ago uh, out their window in New York, and it sounded like every ambulance siren was on at the same time. Oh, I don't doubt it. It's crazy. Well, with that said, you are our inaugural guest on a new segment that we're calling What Are You Doing? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the point of the segment is to literally just call artists and thinkers and creators during this time of isolation and ask you what you're doing to keep yourself uh, creatively involved. You know, it's interesting right now that this feels more creative to me than I have felt in almost years. Really? I would say. There's something about it that you have to sort of, you have to make that out of this. It's either that or or become an alcoholic who eats too much. There's very few options on how you spend your time right now uh, if you can't go to public places. So... I have at my disposal this studio uh, where I can record, and um, I have some songwriters. Like one of my best friends lives on an on the edge of my farm on property he bought that's adjacent, and he's one of my co-writers. So he's here, and we've yet to get in the same room because we're kind of waiting a few weeks for that. But I have, uh, and and there's another songwriter that one of the songwriters that wrote Whiskey Lullaby is right down the road too. Um, and, uh, so we have our own little troop and we can eventually be very creative. Is was it always a sort of a, I guess, I mean, I guess it's the dream of every musician to have your own recording studio. And, but, uh, before you had your own, what, what, what ridiculous lengths would you go to for, for sound quality? When I did my first couple of records, we went to, uh, a person's home that had a great studio that was a friend of mine and we rented it from them and did all of our overdubs there and the other place that we recorded uh, my favorite place to record aside from uh, the house here in Nashville where I live is a studio called the castle in Franklin Tennessee it was originally built in uh, I guess the 20s by Al Capone oh wow as a hideout on his way from Chicago to Miami, he would stop halfway here and he would basically weather it and spend a few days. And when you walk around, there's a photo of him in there when he was sitting in the kitchen area. And there's, it's all made of stone. It, it's the only the kind of thing a mobster would build. And, uh, 
And you can imagine the history in a place like that. So we used to record there, and I used to love that because it's got its own thing. It's just, I'm all about vibe when you're recording. I can't stand the doctor's office feel of studios when, they're, when they don't really work at being creative. Yeah, that's funny because uh, there were several sightings of Al Capone in Sewanee. Uh, he would stop right. for dinner at this, one, this old restaurant that we have there. The name escapes me right now. But it seems that Al Capone, Al Capone had a, a, a love for Tennessee. He did, I think. You know, it's weird to think about, you know, what a despicable human being he was. But it's such a strange and, and awesome thing that history uh, is surrounding us down here like this. And, I, you know, I think that you find in times like this especially th this sort of solace in looking back at time periods even like that where uh, like we just did we did the opry on saturday night and uh marty stewart it was me marty stewart and vince gill uh and marty brought jimmy rogers old guitar which of course marty owns because he owns everything um which was the song the guitar you heard on the old jimmy rogers records it's mm. an old martin and he played one of those dust bowl depression songs um, in this empty Opry house. There were no one, no one was there. We were 10 feet apart. We were never closer than that. We followed CDC guidelines, but here we are creating and trying to keep the Opry going on a Saturday because it's never missed a Saturday night wow. since the twenties. So we played that to an empty house and it was televised, but hearing Marty play that guitar and sing this dust bowl, it, I felt like we were in the grapes of wrath. It just felt, it, it feels like history is, it reminds me of the phrase, Mark Twain's my favorite, I, I don't know if you'd call him a humorist or a philosopher or all of that, but he said, history may not repeat itself, but it, but it does rhyme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this feels like it's a rhyme right now with the, the Great Depression and some of that. Country music's got this unique place, and I feel like right now, um, Marty even said this on the stage when we were on there last week, he was like, I feel, and, and Vince actually said, country music is uniquely positioned to be helpful musically in this time. You know, country music's a unique place because there is such uh, a, an enormous amount of, uh, you know, patience and, and niceness. And, and you're from down here, so yeah. you know the bless your heart mentality. You can say anything you want about <laughs> somebody and follow it with bless your heart. And yeah. that's how they are here. It's a small town, so it's gossipy, but at the same time, you're, you know, you're careful with your reputation because it's not big enough to, it's not like LA where you can go down the street and no one's heard of you. Yeah. Yeah. Although you'd be surprised at times how small the business can be. No, I bet. Uh, you've gotten a taste of it though. You know, you produced. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Oh, TV? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I've got a bunch of projects right now actually that um, are uh, really fun to be doing. And that's another thing I'm doing with this time is I have some, I have a lot of writing to do for, there's an Amazon series that we're writing, a, uh, right now, myself and a, a great writer named AD miles used to write arrested development in the, in the tonight show. And we've got this series on Amazon that we're working on. Um, that's a whole nother muscle, but it's not that different from songwriting. And, um, you know, a few projects like that. And, you know, I just did a ABC special where the that was the most I've really had to be thrown into the deep end in terms of production, um, making that happen from start to finish and 
come to fruition. Um, but I, I love it because I feel like it's such a creative outlet and it only helps music to have these things. You got to be multidisciplinary these days, I think. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. It's a very exciting time to be creating content because everybody's doing it, but at the same time, everybody's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, right now, I feel like we're at a this sort of crazy tipping point where things are never going to be the same when we get back to what we think is normal. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, already I just got a thing from from Kimmel, they're going to be doing, he's going to start doing his show from his house. And so they're, they're asking for musical performances that we send in, you know, I don't, I guess this is, this would be okay to say on here, you know, and, and so they're already trying to figure out how to do something on television and the same with, with Fallon and, but how's this change everything? How's this go? Like when we all go back to slick produced studio, audiences is it going to feel are we going to be spoiled by the the uh you know the in-depth insider look at people's lives that we got i saw somebody posted online the other day the art and or the explosion of art and genius from this time that we're living through is going to be breathtaking and I hope that's true. I hope people are using this. I know right now I'm I give myself a B on how I'm how I'm doing in terms of with this opportunity to be creative. Uh, a B's not bad, but I could do a little bit better. It's it's boy it's it's about adding structure to your life, don't you think? Right now. <laughs> yeah. Going, and going I'm going to make sure in this day that I'm doing this and this and this. It's really important. How are you doing with it? Um, I, I could be a little bit better as well. The thing that I was, I was going to say, I, th I don't think a lot of people get to cultivate that actors do get to cultivate and, and gig artists, I think as well, mm -hmm. uh, is learning that you are responsible, uh, for your own happiness. And a lot of that has to do with structure. Yeah, you're right. And so that's going to be interesting to see how people deal with this that aren't used to being unemployed. <laughs> right. I think it's certainly true in, of your industry, but when I think about, and, and, I, and I'd see productions going down left and right on TV and film, but when I think about my, my friends who are almost 100% working in the theater, that's really, really rough right now. Um, I don't see how some of these theaters are gonna pull through. I don't even no. see how some of the larger producers and theater are going to pull through, or the theaters themselves uh, on Broadway. And then yeah. when you think about the the performers who are living hand-to-mouth to begin with, yeah. uh, Broadway as we know it may become a completely different thing. Uh, it's, it's sad. And, you know, that's to say nothing of my touring industry. Yeah. Like, we're trying to figure out when the next time I'm going to look at an audience face-to-face -face is and I, I don't know when it'll be and I've got a ton of employees waiting and I'm gonna pay them as long as I can and you know at the same time I because I have a belief that when we can finally go play live again these crowds are gonna be amazing oh, yeah yeah <laughs> you know so we have to just we have to weather this but I was thinking like I had a really unique vantage point that I'll never forget 
And that was on the Wednesday when all hell broke loose, which was, well, I'll remember where we were when the NBA walked off the court. And that same day, immediately, Live Nation, who's my tour promoter, uh, canceled all tours in, North, in, in America. So everybody was grounded that night. Um, that was a Wednesday. But I had a gig on Thursday and Friday in Canada. So it was exempt because I was playing in Saskatchewan, which had zero cases at that point. So the next day I get on a plane and I'm flying to Saskatchewan as I get word that Friday's canceled in Alberta. So I'm like, are we going to actually play this tonight? And they're like, yeah, there's no cases in Saskatchewan. There's no reason not to play tonight. They don't, and it was way up there too. You know where Saskatchewan yeah. is. Yeah. So I got, a, I walked out on that stage that, that night, knowing that all my friends in country music are grounded and not going back out. And mm. I'm playing what I think is probably about the last country show for however long it's going to be. And I'm standing there looking at that audience. And I said, when I, after the first couple songs, I said, well, we got this in under the wire. Um, I am thankful for this moment to be able to appreciate how this feels to play for you. And I know we are going to do our best tonight to make this as great as it can be and enjoy every minute of this um, until we see each other again. And I got so emotional when it was over because I said goodnight. I thanked them. I told them to be safe and realized I'm not doing this for a while. And it was weird. It was weird to play a show. Everybody else had to kind of stop before they got the, that opportunity. But I got to play a show knowing, savor this, because this is not going to happen. Yeah, when you start to think about also all of the ramifications of how this is hitting people economically and how connected uh, we all are through those economics... You know, when you yeah. think about the not just the theaters, but the performers, not just the performers, but the landlords, not just the landlords, but the tax assessor and the, the you know, it just goes on down the line. And um, it's uh, what one thing that, that what's really gotten me, though, and I, I said this to my podcast producing partner the other day is the, the human ability to consolidate new circumstances mm-hmm. and go, OK. This is the situation. All right, we're going to make the best of it. I've been very impressed on that yeah, level. Me too. I think that's it's interesting. I mean, and my wife's good at that. It's like she's been like immediately I had a I had a breakdown when it first began um because I had to cancel a chance to go out to LA and do something for charity and I was almost to the airport. And I realized I can't I was and I had to cancel because I was going to be taking a chance on getting my parents sick, on getting my family sick, and yeah. I just couldn't do it. And I had to, and I never cancel anything if I can if I can keep whatever's on the books. It's kind of a, you know, to a fault I will do it. And I had to call my friends at ABC and say I'm sorry, but I just talked to people at Vanderbilt Hospital and they're telling me this is not a good idea for me to do. And, um. And I came home and I started sobbing. And it was mostly like all of this. I had been, I had spent the week trying to figure out how, where we go from here. And it just hit me. I was like, there are going to be a lot of people in pain. 
and this world is changing right now and I don't know if I'm ready. And it just was too much. Yeah. Now, since then, we're making the most of it. My, my wife's good at making sure we're not wasting this time. And I do think we're going to look back, those of us lucky enough to get through this healthy, we're going to look back at this with uh, some fond memories with our families. Well, speaking of charity, so you, uh, you have something interesting that you've been doing in, in Nashville. I am, uh, yeah, I'm in disbelief over our timing. Um, so there's this thing in Santa Barbara where we volunteer out there called Unity Shop. And it's the best model for a charity I'd ever seen in my life. There's this wonderful woman named Barbara who is about, she's maybe 80. She's up there. And she came up with this concept. And we've, we kind of, I told her right away when we first started volunteering there, I'm going to do this in Nashville. And she's all for it. And so we rethought what they do to fit our town. And it's called The Store. The concept was, and, and will be again someday, that it's a grocery store that feels just like a corner grocery with things ranged in a way that looks normal. Mm -hmm. um, like you're just like you're at a Kroger, but nobody pays a dime. And it's if you qualify or if you're referred, if you've lost your job, they, you know, you come in and we put you on the program and you get groceries for your family. And that's one less thing to think about while you try to get a job. It's that gap between absolute poverty and homelessness and having everything you need. There's that little gap in there where you may, you know, a, a, a husband loses their job, a wife gets cancer, whatever it may be. Next thing you know, food is hard to get. And the trick with this was we wanted people to have dignity, being able to go shop, walk through there with their kids, and it, you know what, it feels normal. And so we worked for the last two years. I, I, I went to Belmont University, my alma mater, and I said to Dr. Fisher, who's the president there, he's an amazing man, and I just said, let's do this together. Let's teach kids about poverty while they're in college. They can be our workforce. You know, they can get college credit from feeding people. They will see firsthand what this looks like. It's something I didn't do in college. And uh, we can help this town. And I put together... We, we put together a whole board of people that are great within our industry and within Nashville itself. And we got an endowment together and we're doing all these things and we built the building. We opened our doors the second week of March. Wow. And we had one day of operating like we planned where the doors opened. We did a soft open. We invited some referred families in. They walked through. It was emotional to see. They walked through, they picked out the fruit and vegetables they wanted, you know, put everything in their cart, went, checked out the differences. When you check out, all you do is give the card you that, the, that we give you that you're a, you know, you qualified to be in this and you don't ever pay. And there's a little mechanical horse. There was a kid. That was always my vision was I know it's going to feel normal when there's a kid on the little mechanical horse in the front of the store, just like it's a regular grocery. And it was all normal, and that was the trick, was that, that everybody gets this experience with dignity. And then all hell broke loose, and we immediately realized, oh, okay, this isn't like we thought. Now we have to just feed people. And so immediately we changed it to, if you're over 80, we'll bring it to you. 
You don't even have to be poor. That's great. Um, and so now we have all these volunteers driving meals with rubber gloves, dropping them off. And we had a moment last week where our volunteers, which are kind of a bunch of studio interns that have nothing to do right now because the recording studios aren't busy. They went to this place, this, these towers where a, a lot of senior citizens live and dropped bags of groceries at each door in these towers, in these apartments. And when they got to the end of the hallway, all of the residents came out and started giving them a standing ovation in the hallway. Oh, wow. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. What, so what's it called and where can people go to find out more information? It's called The Store. And the reason we called it that is because it's like, sounds normal. You tell your kid, we're going to the store. Kid doesn't realize you're in trouble. Um, and it's, there's a, it's uh, thestore.org is the website. That's great. It's great you're doing that. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm uh, baffled by our timing, but it seems like it's somehow divine. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, left-handed question here. Um, something I've been wanting to ask you for a long time is uh, <laughs> I had the pleasure of seeing this little independent documentary about one of my favorite people. Um, who's no longer with with us, Bob Ross. Oh, yeah. And you were interviewed in this documentary because you studied painting. A little bit. I mean, I studied, studied is a loose term. Did you study with Bob Ross? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. I did on, I did like everyone else. I, I, I studied with him on PBS. Right, you know? right, right, yeah. I, I used to watch that show all the time, and I, it's how I learned to do landscapes. Like, I was like, oh, he made it look so easy and fun and everything about it. I thought he was the most remarkable guy. He's like the Mr. Rogers of painting. Yeah. And, to, oh, totally. Totally. You know, yeah. And, and, uh, so I used to wear like a Bob Ross t-shirt sometimes and do concerts and his, I guess his family and foundation reached out to me when they were going to do the documentary and said, we've noticed you're a fan. And I said, I'm as big a fan as I could be. And they said, um, would you want to be in this? I said, I'd love to talk about him. Absolutely. But I never got to know him. He had passed away before. Oh, that's such a shame. Yeah, I was a huge fan of his as well. Do you paint? I was actually, before I ever discovered acting, painting was my thing in school. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a, a, a graphic artist. And I, I discovered acting, and it's like I, I put down my brushes. And I picked them up again once or twice, mostly pastels. But Now's the time. The muscles are still there, but it just takes longer, you know? I get it. Uh, it's something I think that I'll I'll get back into later in life. i got so many things going on right now. But there's this weird kind of Bob Ross um, rediscovery going he's on. on like, he's on Netflix. I, I every every episode, yeah. I was like, well, this is cool. What a brilliant thing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I love that, that they're finding him. I mean, it's a shame he's not with us. Uh, he would... He would be so right now. I think he might he might be more popular than Tiger King if he was still around. <laughs> <laughs> People would be like, "Give me that! I need the happy trees right now." Yeah, it's it. And there's this also this movement uh, that has come about from our lives online. Uh, a relatively select group of people in the world. I have it to a degree, but people who experience, I believe they call it ASMR. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've seen that a lot. What's it stand for? Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And it's that 
uh, a lot of times people experience when somebody whispers something and right. sort of like you get this all over body chill. Right, right, right. Or if, if there's really sort of subtle sounds or imagery, like some people respond to the sound of fabrics or marbles and it lulls you into a deep relaxation. Okay. And some people have it to a strong degree. Some people ha don't have it at all. I definitely experienced that uh, when I watched both Mr. Rogers and uh, Bob Ross as a child. Right. Um, but you don't think you have that? I probably do. I probably yeah. do. I mean, um, I felt like, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm way more of an intense studier of stuff probably to feel that sort of. Um, but there's times I think music can do that. Oh yeah, sure. You got to have some music that you're into outside of country. Oh, big time. Oh, without a doubt. In fact, a, a large portion of, I go through phases like anything. I mean, you know, of, of stuff. I love, I, I, I love British and European rock, like mm. alt rock. Really? I love, yeah, because there's such a, they just don't really care what you label it over there. You know, I, I love the, the, indie bands from from over there and and um we've also i also we do really really well in europe i started cultivating that and so there's this beautiful sort of different appreciation for country music when we play over there that i sense that's from people that are a bit starved for it um and i've also said this like i i'm the farthest thing from exotic in the united states um, <laughs> right I'm like the poster for not exotic. Um, I'm Joe not exotic is what I am. But but over in Europe, I'm exotic. I'm this guy in a cowboy hat. And they're like, they role play. They, they sort of put on, they put on their cowboy outfits when I come to town. And we do so, we have so much fun touring over there. We were supposed to go this July. And, I, you know, and it's like, as I'm looking at that, it's like, I'm, I don't know what's happening right now, but it's like a crazy we went last, thank God we got our, our tour in last fall, which was awesome. But it's just, it's heartbreaking looking at that. And, but musically speaking, like when you look at, you know, even when you look at some of these bands over there and, and, you know, whether that's something as popular and mainstream as, as Mumford and Sons or as sort of indie and like, there's a, there's a really cool band called a silent film that not a lot of people have heard of here that I just find kind of cool. And I don't know, I, I love I love what you can do when you take away borders with music. And I think Europe does that well. There's, a, there's a, also a really interesting, almost fetishism in Europe in certain circles with the Old West, with all things country and the Old totally. West. Totally. Oh, yeah. Well, you, they don't have anything like that. They don't have a, there's no canyons. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a Hell on Wheels cosplay group in I want to say <laughs> I want to say Romania, right? Of course. I went online and I saw some of their videos, and it's really cool. But the thing is, they don't have access to horses apparently, so what it's just use? like they just run through fields, like they're running into a fight. <laughs> so it's like Game of Thrones meets <laughs> right or Braveheart. <laughs> Like I got a tight, I've 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 got a tight, I
is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and me, Anson Mount. Theme music by Brandon, based on a composition by Jonathan Myberg. Special thanks to Brad Paisley. This is him playing with Buck Owens all the way back in 1999. Listen to Brad nail this guitar solo. Mm-hmm.